Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello, Anna. Hey, Christina. How's it going? It's good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We're in person for people who don't understand that. Yes, we're in person. One of the things that we are also in is spring. Oh, yeah. It just started spring. So that leads me to my newfound hobby of love, gardening, which is interesting because I've always considered myself to have a black thumb or a brown thumb Like I'm because I gave myself a trauma because I had a beautiful plant that I loved in college, and I went to college in Iowa, and I went outside to transport it to someone's house to take care of it for me when I went out of town for winter break. And I took like two steps outside, and it was freezing cold, and it just shattered into thousands of pieces because it got so cold. And it just like crumbled like glass, and I felt so bad. Mother wound stuff, I just felt like horrible about it. So I like took this. I took this unconscious vow never to be in charge of plants again because I didn't want to do what I did, that I made a stupid mistake. But I finally got over that, and I started gardening again. And I feel like that that topic ties in really well with our series on place because did you know that the natural frequency of a human who is standing is about 7.5 hertz, and when we're sitting down, it's about 4 to 6 hertz? Okay. Did you know that plants have a vibration of 20 to 100 okay and flowers have a vibration of 300 hertz and the red rose has the highest vibrational frequency of any living thing that we know of and that is 320 hertz so by gardening specifically planting flowers you are raising the vibration of your place nice nice beautiful that is beautiful yeah that's so, so interesting, too, given the connotation of the rose. Like, you see the rose everywhere. Kind of makes you think that maybe it is, like, an alien thing that was like, yo, we're just going to drop this drop little this- alien yeah. high-frequency thing in, and yeah. Well, a lot of people who've claimed to have seen, like, the Virgin Mary or ver- visions of, you know, the Mary-, Mary say it's accompanied by the smell of roses, which I think is really cool. That's beautiful. There's also the Order of the Roses, which is a group of people who are here for love to bring love onto the earth right okay and and when you make your tetrahedron you actually have roses that come out of your your you can create it with roses when you create your octahedron that comes around your body for sacred geometry for protection yeah yeah red roses nice how has gardening felt for you oh i love it it, yes. it just feels grounding, like we talked about last episode. It's grounding. I can get lost in there all weekend. Like, I can just spend, like, it's like five hours go by, and I don't even notice. It's just, like, a great excuse to be outdoors. 
it's a great idea. It's just a great excuse to be touching high frequency things. Yes. And it's bonding with my kids too. They enjoy it. And like I put my husband to task. My husband really doesn't really like to get his hands dirty. He's kind of like a professional dude. And I'll be like, come dig this hole for me or whatever. And he, he's like, that was actually really fun. That was actually really grounding. I'm like, yeah. 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 It helps a lot. It's Digging a hole is... <laughs> my husband and I have a lot of analogies about how the vast majority of all the world is just moving dirt from one place to another because we have it in our physical reality a lot. <laughs> but digging holes is a fun, is a fun, it's an interesting and different experience. So that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. What has been your favorite part? Like what, cause you started in like late fall last year, right? So you like haven't even had a full spring in your gardening. Full spring. Well, by a crazy set of circumstances, I now have 11 peony plants in my house. So not this spring necessarily, but next spring I'm going to have like 200 peony blooms. That's going to be amazing. But I will say so far my greatest gardening moment was we, we went to this beautiful pick-your-own-garden at Julep Farms. Yeah. And some of the flowers, when they came home with us, died. And I sprinkled their seeds in my garden just to see what would happen. And a bunch of flowers grew from that. And I just remember looking at this beautiful flower being like, I would have thrown this in the trash. Like I would have thrown these seeds in the trash if I hadn't known. And instead I've helped facilitate this beautiful life. And it was just like, just this this beautiful Cosmo growing or many of them actually. And it was just, I don't know. It was just like so touching to me that like I'd been a part of this exchange of life. And then I had these beautiful flowers and I decorated my house with them. Probably that was cruel cutting them off, but I don't know. It's like I wanted to spread the frequency. So one of the things that, that they teach in one of my favorite books, which is The Secret Life of Plants, uh-huh. is they teach that the way to counteract cutting... Is to say thank you? Is to say thank yeah, you. Yeah, and I always say thank you. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I, I teach my kids to ask as well, because sometimes you find that they don't. I remember I once heard this story of a woman who... It was really fascinating because she was talking... She had just started talking to trees. Right. And so when she was talking to trees, she found that that when she went to this park was the first place that she had ever talked to trees. Right. And so when she was in this park, like the trees were just like, we love you. Come sit under my shade. And they were like the nicest trees that you could ever imagine. They just had this like totally beautiful feeling about them and they were so welcoming. And then. She went and tried to do the same thing to her trees at home. I saw that, yeah. You saw that, right? I think I sent it to you. She went to try and do the same thing to her trees at home, and they were like, bitch, go away. The the trees in her yard were not nearly as nice or willing to share and communicate as the ones in the park were. And, you know, she investigated it further, and she asked, and they were were basically just like, we saw all our brothers and sisters. You know, we, we saw the extension of us killed in order for your house to be built and so you know whereas the ones in the park were like they were safe right like they you know you think that's an extension of her consciousness because my the trees in my my yard love me i don't know i think that maybe it could be but i think at the same time when we get into the subtleness of it, like everything is love, everything loves you and they probably do love you. I definitely get like, like I have the, the split red Oak in the front of my yard 
and I'm pretty sure it's some sort of fey portal. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever told you that, but I I have a get I get a really mixed feeling about it. Like I get underneath that it loves me, but I also get that there's a lot of other things that go along with it. Oh wow. So it's a it's an interesting thing. Anne and I got a bunch of plants, plugs, right? Little baby seedlings that have been grown in a greenhouse that we she's oh, come so here excited. for. Though so I got them yesterday and it's spring it's spring has sprung here and it's the 24th of march so cool so that is gardening and we are going to be talking about today another kind of impact that a place has on you which is what something that i call the medicine of place i this is one of those weird things that i call it the medicine of place because a couple of years ago, probably five or six years ago now, when I was living in Atlanta, and I had moved, I've moved a lot around a lot to a lot of like different countries and cities and all these different things. And I started to recognize that we have, we have an interaction with a place and, a, and different places affect us in different ways. Mm-hmm. And so I started trying to, when I was working with my clients, I was trying to verbalize this. And what came out was this concept called the medicine of place. So this is a unique terminology Obviously, it borrows language, the language of using the term medicine as a form of not just like allopathic, like prescription drugs, but like medicine is in something that can bring out your shadow, something that can support you, that can kind of do all of these different things. Medicine that works on a spiritual level. It's a spiritual medicine. Mm -hmm. But I came up with this terminology and I've been using it ever since. So recognizing that I'm borrowing the term medicine from indigenous cultures to be able to kind of describe what it is that I'm talking about. So the medicine of place in a nutshell is that places present in the same way that people present opportunities. They have tuning forks inside of them, right? In the Mm -hmm. same way that we've talked about this before, that people have tuning forks. And when you're coupled or close to certain people, certain lessons choose to come out of you, right? Because your tuning forks start to resonate in a certain way. The same thing happens with places, right? I I heard you know why it is. Why? Because of your astrological chart, where you were and where you were born, your longitude and latitude. It's like when you go to different places, it's it's the best place for you because of your particular chart or like some places are good for you and bad for you based on your chart. That's really interesting. Okay, so we'll, we'll pull Anyways, that into what, a, are the, what are the possible ideas. But the idea is that we, and we, what we talked about in the last episode was this idea of biofields, right? That we have biofields, that we have electromagnetic fields that are mostly generated by our own hearts, but they're also contributed to, like they basically contribute to and interact with the overall field that is on the earth. And depending on where you are on the earth, that field feels a lot different. And so what will happen is that like, it's very much like a magnet in the sense of like, something can feel like it's contained. Like imagine you had, you were in a magnetic force field, right? And all of the magnets were like in opposition to you. You guys know what it feels like when you're trying to put two magnets together that don't want to touch. All those magnets, it, it kind of keeps you contained. And then imagine like one of, like if you had a whole bunch of magnets that were keeping you contained, one of them flipping and all of a sudden like attracting a part out of you, right? So it's like, you know what I mean? Like attracting, like pulling out a lesson about, injustice like an injustice wound for instance and all of a sudden you're just like oh my god I'm in this town and I feel so much injustice because maybe I'm reading signs like maybe mentally I'm being stimulated because I'm reading signs that talk about a massacre that happened here in the past or maybe I'm feeling a lot of injustice because every single interaction that I'm having with store people 
in this town is they're trying to cheat me or, you know, whatever it is, like you'll go to these different places and these different lessons will like shoot out of you, right? So we're going to talk about a couple of the things that contribute to the medicine of a place and how it chooses to kind of interact with us because it is very specific to your point, Anna, about astrology. It's very, very specific to you and your electromagnetic configuration, your configuration of bodies, like how you show up on the world is very, very specific to how you will interact with a place in the medicine that it... So the first thing that we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about like greater history of an area. The next is we're going to talk about personal history of an area and how that can contribute to your medicine. And then we're going to talk about specific types of earth energies that can contribute to making you feel like you want to stay in a place or you don't want to stay in a place. And then, you know, kind of talk about in the end about how it interacts with how we can work with the medicine of a place in the way that interacts with us, especially if we're in a place where we can't necessarily choose if we stay there or not, because not everybody has a privilege of like moving towns or cities or countries. Right. Okay. So the first thing we're going to talk about is the greater history. The greater history, this, we can kind of summarize a lot of the greater history as kind of what Anna was talking about in the sacred places. But what I would say the greater history is, is like the cultural history of an area. So... I talked about in the end of the last episode about the Okmogi Treaty that happened very close to where I live right now and kind of the that level of medicine that sits in this place. One of the other things that sits in this place is the lar- at what was at one point the largest mental institute in the entire world. Oh, it's I heard about it's that. not even a mile away from me. Yes. It's across the river. It's called Central State Hospital. And anybody in the boomer generation was threatened to come to Milledgeville if they misbehaved because it was a mental institute and you could just send people to Milledgeville. And that was like, yeah, someone was talking, I told someone I was going to come into your farm in Milledgeville. They go, when I was a kid, they used to threaten me that if I was behaving badly, that they were going to send me to Milledgeville. That's it. Right. So the medicine of the greater history of this place is you have it being the epicenter of the breaking of the Okmogi Treaty, right? So you have basically a tree that was created with the government. You had a thriving civilization here that was the Okmogi and the Muscogee. And Macon, which is about 45 minutes southwest of here, is the Okmogi Mounds, which is a national monument. And there are massive mounds that were basically a whole city complex that existed down there as one of the epicenters of Okmogi, the Okmogi tribes and kind of what's there. So Milledgeville in particular is an epicenter for breaking of the Okmulgee Treaty. And it also sits on it. At one point, there were 26,000 people at Milledgeville Central State Hospital. 26,000 people. There's potter fields with untold number of people buried in them. And the entire thing was abandoned. It was shuttered. I think Jimmy Carter was one of the ones like Rosalind Carter and Jimmy Carter were like one of the first ones that came down here in the 80s that kind of saw how bad the conditions were. Oh my god! And then they basically started a process of shuttering the thing for over a period of like 30 years. And then in 2011 or 12, they basically shuttered it other than like a hundred of the most like um, criminally insane who they could not release back into the public public population. And then they released everybody off into Milledgeville. I was going to use Atlanta as the example because one <laughs> One of my dear friends and clients and I talk about the pain body of Atlanta, you know, using the Eckhart Tolle terminology of pain body because there is so much history and pain in Atlanta in particular that when you go there, if you're sensitive to it, you can feel it. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm, that's all I'm going to say about that. And I'm going to go to my town here because it's, I can kind of speak to my town since I've chosen to, 
to inhabit this. So this town has a lot of very interesting things as a result of its greater history. Right. And that's just what we know. Like, obviously we don't know any of the things like there's, you know, we're really close to the Oconee river and not even, and right in town, there's a crossing. There's like a stone, basically, you know, stones across the river that were a passage across like a natural stone bridge across that river for thousands of years. Wow. Right. So like there's such deep history that we don't even have written records of because obviously all the oral histories and traditions were destroyed in the Trail of Tears and other things like that. But the point is, is that this town, I feel like is, is very similar to like, it's kind of got like a very strange random acts of violence that happen a lot around here. So the best example that I can think of was a story that was just put on Dateline or one of 60 minutes or one of those things just a couple of weeks ago. There was a yoga studio called in Milledgeville, in Milledgeville called Good Karma. And uh, it, if you can believe it, the leader, the main yoga teacher, the one who owned it, was involved in a murder suicide. Okay. So, like, if you guys want, you can kind of look it up and go look into it, but. It's an example of like, okay, so a yoga studio is inverted, like the owner, a woman got killed and then the owner killed himself. Like that's the assumption of what happened there. But it's an example of, of one of the many kind of random acts of violence that you see in this area. And it has a lot to do with the medicine and the, and the kind of greater history that sits on this area. When I am in this town, I feel an interaction with this town of my healing parts have come out more than you can ever imagine, right? And I talked, I've talked to to Charles, our you know one of my one of our teachers about this a number of times, and he's like, you are specifically placed there because that's that's the place that you need to be. That's the way that he says it. He says that's the place that you need to be. At first, I tried to like actively heal the land by myself. He was like, no, no, no. He's like, no. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, your presence is what is needed to be able to do that. You don't need to try and actively fight against something that is needing to work its way out of the land. All of the injustice, all of the kind of terrible things that happen, like you, you, your job is not to try and, you know, you're not laundering the place, right? Your presence, like laundry is like, as if it's like a laundry and I have to like, it's like a dirty fabric and I'm trying to clean it up, right? He's like, your presence and the activity that you will be inspired to do when you're there that is not about cleaning up a place is what's there. So what's happened since I've gotten here is, you know, the land that I'm on, which called it, which told me its name was Talumeria, you know, the land that I'm on is becoming a healing place, right? It's becoming a farm and retreat. And, you know, we're working on getting retreats here. So I've started doing in-person energy healing. I've had people come and do intensives here and do energy healing. And the land itself has allowed me to become a healer in a way that I don't think I ever would have become in Atlanta. Not to mention, obviously, it's a beautiful space and there's a lot of trees and there's a lot of wilderness, so it like naturally lends itself to that. But the medicine of this place has helped me to become a healer because it's a place that's calling for healing, right? Mm-hmm. And it makes it so that you can do that. So the idea is that the sacredness of a place can lend itself to giving you different lessons. And so one of the ways that, you know, we're going to talk more about kind of like what you do with that and how you can actually move as you work with the medicine of your own place. But I kind of wanted to give those as, as examples. So 
you know, living really close to sacred sites, living really close to places that, you know, large bodies of water, things like that, things that conduct in the land, which we're going to talk about a little bit more, but like can all lend to giving you a different energy that pulls like that, that can like contribute to your overall energy. Okay. So the next thing we're going to talk about is personal history. And Anna, I'm going to ask you a very personal question. Okay. Well, not very personal. A relic. How do you feel when you go back home in your body? When I go back to New Mexico? Yeah. I feel grounded. What else do you feel? Hungry. They have really good food out there. Just kidding. I feel grounded and happy and peaceful. Yeah. How easy is it for you to become grounded and happy and peaceful in Atlanta? I have to work at it. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's is it like... because of the... Is it because of the pain bodies here? Or is it because I'm a mom here? I mean, I'm a mom there too, but it, I don't know how to explain it. So that's that's what we're getting to. We're getting to personal history okay. with this space, right? So there are a lot of things that can contribute to the way that we feel when we go back home. Obviously, some of them are the people and the interactions that we have. For some of those, those are more difficult right? But the personal history that you in your own life have contributed to a place and like that, that things that happen in that place all contribute to the medicine and how the medicine acts with you, right? So I'll give you an example of when I was having a really, really difficult time postpartum with my daughter. My daughter was two months old. It was the end of February and she was born in the middle of December. And I just said, I need to go home. And I meant Atlanta, even though I was living in Indiana at the time. I was living off-grid in Indiana. And it was an incredibly difficult flight because she was crying the entire time. Like, it was so, so difficult. And my husband wasn't coming because he doesn't ever come. He's not a traveler in that way. And I think he had to work. My husband wasn't coming. There was, like, a whole bunch of stuff going on. But I remember... In February, late February in Atlanta, like it's still, it's like coming on to spring. Like there's a feeling of spring in the air. And in that year in particular, there was a feeling of spring in the air. And I cannot tell you how incredible it felt to be in that space again, right? How incredible it felt to, to, to feel the, the air, to feel like I just felt so safe. I had so much trauma that's gone in Atlanta, but I was so deeply traumatized by the experience of motherhood and being in, in Atlanta and feeling isolated that when I went back to Atlanta, it was Wait, like... Indiana. Indiana, yes. I felt so traumatized when I went to Indiana that when I came back to Atlanta, I was just like, <sighs> oh my God. I just took this huge deep breath out, right? I took this huge deep breath out. I was just like, oh my God. And I still had to do all the same thing. I still had to be a mother, right? I still had a three, two-month-old baby who, like, you know, couldn't feed correctly and, like, had all this different stuff. And, and you know, I still had to do it basically by myself with a little bit of help. But, like, you know, it was me single parenting this time. I didn't even have my husband to help. But, like, being at home was like being in a cradle myself because I was born in Atlanta. I was raised in Atlanta. Like, whatever it was about that space was enough to calm my nervous system down so that I could actually go. There's another thing too with with um, cities that I wanted to, to show y'all. This is kind of goes with the greater history or not, but they did a study once that showed that the that every city has a, a heartbeat and you can usually measure that heartbeat by the pace of the walkers in really? that city. Yeah. So Who or said the, this? 
This is, um, I, I, I was trying to find it exactly. It was on either Radio Lab or This American Life, so I apologize. It was on one of those two podcasts um, a long time ago, but it was a whole thing. They would basically go and they would measure the heartbeat. They would measure the pace of how people walked, and then they would correlate that and see that everybody was basically walking in the same sort of cadence mm -hmm. and therefore they kind of derived a heartbeat from those those different ones and so they would play I'm pretty sure it was radio lab because of the way that they kind of they would play back the heartbeat of all these different cities and like how fast the walkers were walking and how fast the things like that and that's what I felt when I came back to Atlanta was that whatever was going on in Indiana I felt like all of a sudden I was in the right heartbeat again right and my heart could beat in a different way when I came back home oh wow so yeah, what is like, so for you, Anna, when you go back to New Mexico, like, do you often go to the places? Cause like your parents live in the town you grew up in still, right? Mm -hmm. Same house I was pretty much raised in. Yeah. Yeah. So do you ever come across shadow or for you, is it mostly because you're like there so infrequently, it's almost all just like good comforting experiences. That's pretty much all good comforting. I'm trying to think. Yeah. Yeah. Why did you move? Like, would you, I mean, sorry, my one of the questions is why did you move? And the other one is why haven't you moved back? Particular reasons. I moved because they didn't offer a doctoral program at that time in my state. And I decided to move it somewhere warm because after going to undergrad in Iowa, I was like, I have to do grad school somewhere warm. I can't do those Iowa winters. Yeah. So I came to Atlanta for Emory. And then we haven't moved back because my husband's business and stepdaughter are here. So, yeah, I'd like to move back and I've brought it, I brought it up a lot, but my husband isn't convinced that the education system there is as good as in Atlanta, but I think it is, it's just going to be different. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have a dream of retiring back to New Mexico? Yes. Yeah. I want to get, I want to live in Mesilla. I want to get a horse. I want to have like, yeah. Yeah. And what do you imagine when you go into that space? Like when you like go into the space of like going back home? Again, grounded. Just like grounded. Like peaceful. easier? Does it feel easier? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let me explain something about New Mexico, for example. <laughs> In New Mexico, every single restaurant, with like very few exceptions, is a drive through It's like extremely family friendly. I can't even explain. Like if you want to order pizza, you can, there's a drive, drive up window for pizza. Like in Atlanta, you have to get out of your car for everything. You know how hard that is when I had two babies or two kids in diapers or two kids in car seats that anytime I wanted to go anywhere, I had to like take them both out. Everything there has a drive by and I don't know, just so easy and convenient and beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. What is the biggest town you've ever, what's the biggest city? Is it, is it Atlanta or is it somewhere in Argentina or? That I've been in, biggest city? That you've lived in for like more than three months at a time. More than three months. New York. Yeah. When did you live in New York? Well, I did a three month rotation there for school. Okay. Okay. How could you, the reason I'm oh. asking that, what? Yeah. Living in New York, I felt like my sympathetic nervous system was just like, the dial was just turned up. Everything was like, go, 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 go. Yeah. The the heartbeat of that city is so fast. Yeah, it was fast. High expectations and Yeah. Yeah. So the reason I ask that is is like in some ways do you think that being in a rural place or a more rural place than where you live right now would be a, a, an opportunity to ground more or do you think it is just New Mexico? Or is I it don't, Millageville doesn't give me Okay, Millageville is very rural like New Mexico. Yeah. 
does not give me the same feeling. There are they say that there are spiritual portals in Arizona and New Mexico, and that's why it has the vibe that it has. Yeah, there's a different vibe there. Mm. Can't explain it. That makes perfect but I, sense. But I, but India has a similar vibe. And India is more pronounced, but like India, even though it's hustle and bustle and you get off the plane in Bombay or whatever, there is this underlying peace I felt there, despite everything being chaotic. Right, right. Like the heartbeat in India might be super, super fast, but there's some sort of like deep grounding that happens there. It's like a harmonic, I feel like. I feel like there's a harmonic of, you know, we were talking about ultra low frequencies. Like that ultra low frequency is really pronounced, like it's really loud. But there are all these other harmonics on top of it, and the high, and the kind of faster you get with those, the higher you get with those harmonics, the more frenetic the energy feels. Yeah, like India, even though it's crazy, it didn't feel frenetic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, I think it just depends. For me, it did, but that was because I came from Nepal. Oh, Nepal Thailand. is like ten times more calm than oh India. It's crazy. It's crazy calm. Yes, absolutely, exactly. So that's, that's the real, the real key with that one. So, you know, but it's not universal though, because there's people that go to India and they absolutely hate it. Or I have friends from India and they leave, they hate it, you know, that's, and that's the medicine of place working, right? Right. Whereas some people get kicked. I always say that people get spit out of places. New York is one of the best examples of a place that you get spit out of, right? Because, because the energy can, it's just like skipping off a pond for some people, they try and settle and then they just get skipped off a pond and then other people just go deep and they're just like, I'm here. This medicine is just like what I want. But like the idea of recognizing that our bodies want different energies and that the place is going to allow us to have access to those different energies is kind of really important when we're, when we're working with it. Okay, so we've talked about greater history. We've talked about our personal history and how that can contribute. And, you know, both of us talked about feeling good when we went back to the place that we were originally born in. But some people may feel very much like they're skipping off a pond when they go back to the place. And it could be totally bringing up all their shadow. It could be totally bringing up all their stuff. And the thing is, is that when I moved back to Atlanta, when I actually moved back and I wasn't just visiting, mm-hmm. that's when I was forced to go into the depth of the shadow that Atlanta brought to me, right? That's when I was forced to deal. Wait, say that one more time. So when I when I visited Atlanta, I got just the good stuff. Okay. And when I moved, I had to go back into my family history and all of the shadow oh, yeah, presented with my growing up. And it wasn't until I chose to move back to that place that I experienced that. Makes sense. Right. And so that's one of the questions I was asking you too about like moving back to New Mexico. Like I wonder if there would be an aspect of the medicine a place would work on you when you chose to commit and move back there that like anything in your childhood would come up. It may not. It may not. It definitely did for me. Right. Um, when I chose to kind of move back and spend and dedicate time there and like actually actively make that move. Okay. So next we're going to talk about earth energies and how they can contribute to making us feel comfortable in a space or making us feel like interacting with our bodies. So Anna talked about sacred spaces in particular, a couple of ones that were specific examples in which, you know, and we've talked about portals and vortexes. One of the things that we can find is that like, for instance, uh, we were just talking about India and I don't know where I actually heard this. And can you validate this for me? If you've heard this too, that I've heard that the car, your karma amplifies twice as strong when you go into the Himalayas as it does almost anywhere else on the earth. I've not heard it, but maybe, I don't know. 
the funny thing is I heard that just before I went to India well, we and then I definitely a, felt like that when I was there. Well, we definitely got in a motorcycle accident in the Himalayas, which forced us to go do Vipassana 10 day course. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's a more dramatic thing. I got sick a lot in India. And then when I felt things, I felt things like twice as strongly as I ever did before. Um, but you know, they're like, for instance, what, what I'm kind of talking about is that like the sacredness of a space can contribute to the way that you feel in different ways. So for instance, the sacredness of a space can contribute to its medicine. So there are a lot of kind of varying different things if you look at different sources as to what represents what chakra. The idea is that in the same way that a human body has chakra, so too does the earth. So this is the list of, of the considered chakras in the world in terms of the, the energies that are, that are at play. At Mount, present? At present. Okay. Mount Shasta is considered the root chakra, which is in California. The sacral is Lake Titicaca, which is in Peru and Bolivia. Okay. Which has to do with that it's the biggest lake. It, lake Titicaca is the biggest lake in South America. It's the most highly navigable, allowing many boats to go through its water with minimal resistance. And it's believed that this lake has a place in mythology and may have been the birthplace of mythological royalty, according to some it- sources. And it equits, emits quality of both feminine and masculine being the core for creativity and self-expression as the sacral chakra is in the human body. The solar plexus is considered to be Uluru, which is in the middle of, which is what some people know as is Ayers Rock, but is more appropriate to say Uluru, which is in the middle of Australia. And it's considered uh, considered to be Manipura, which is the solar plexus, and it is an UNESCO World Heritage Site, and it's said to have a great energy that can be re-energizing and help people reach their higher self. And it's possible that those who visit have picked up on this as well. One of the things about Uluru when I visited it, which is really interesting is, is that of course, just like any colonized place, you're like, let me climb it, right? But it's this really fascinating thing that like when you walk around it, there are, the, the government has actually been like, please don't look in this area because this is a sacred space, right? So they're literally like, don't take pictures and don't look at this place because this is considered a sacred place. So like when you walk around the base of it, there are places you're not supposed to take pictures, oh. right? So it's very similar to the Shiva temple that's in Varanasi. You're not supposed to take pictures of the Shiva temple in Varanasi for that for a similar reason, right? Because there's something with the interaction of photograph photography with that place. And it's considered really bad to die at Uluru, which is one of the reasons why the, the indigenous, like the aborigines are like not in favor of climbing it because so many people die, have died climbing it and their souls are stuck in that place. Oh shit. Right? So it's like a really interesting thing. All right. So the heart is considered Stonehenge, which is in Glastonbury and Shaftesbury. So basically that whole area in Wiltshire and, and going over towards Glastonbury, which is where the Glastonbury tour is, which is basically a mound that's considered a sacred mound. And it's where the original Avalon was considered to be. That is considered to be the heart chakra of the world. And I can tell you, that it's really interesting because I've spent a lot of time in Brighton for work and radiating out, radiating out from the place in Glastonbury. Like the closer you get to, to Glastonbury, the more peaceful the land gets. But in radiating rings outside of that, there's like certain levels of like chaos that I attribute with like heart walls, very similar to how humans have heart walls around their hearts. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like there's a heart wall around that heart chakra that like can you can kind of run into really interesting and negative energies within like different radial rings around that place so it's interesting the throat throat chakra is considered to be the mount of olives mount sinai and the great pyramid of giza right so that whole area is considered to be the so representative of communication and it was built obviously the great pyramid of giza was was built with lunar and solar alignments in line a lot of celestial alignment 
And so the idea is that it's responsible for speaking one's truth. And it's, you know, it's believed that these regions enhance and embody that idea of like speaking your own truth. Where is this coming from, all this information? This is coming from thetravel.com, but these align with all the, like the kind of in geomancy, which is like the study of the earth and its energies. Because I was listening to Spirit Science and it said that the Kundalini used to be in Atlantis, but then there was polar shift. And so now... The kundalini is in Tibet. Interesting. So the kundalini sits in Tibet. Let me see if it's in here because I feel like I've heard too that. Is it Shankara? The name of the Tibetan holy place. Oh, Mm Shangri-La. It says it's a fictional account of a legendary Tibetan paradise, Shambhala. So Shangri-La is actually Shambhala, which is is supposed to be like a holy land that only certain people can go to. Anyway, okay, so the third the third eye is floating. According to this website, it's floating depending on the eon. So it has there's no fixed location for it during this eon, which happens every 2,160 years. It's said to also be at Stonehenge, but it may be up to maybe it's in Shambhala in Tibet or something like that. It may be moving around. The crown is considered to be Mount Kailish, which is in Tibet. So Mount Kailish is in Tibet, and it's considered that Shambhala, which is the sacred mythological place that only certain people can go and that like the masters are known to reside in, is at the base of that mountain somehow. And that mountain is so sacred that you like literally cannot go anywhere near it. Oh, wow. But that is, that's Mount Kailish that's in Tibet. So those are kind of some of the examples of what we're talking about when we're talking about the, the sacredness of a place acting on you. So like if you're in the throat chakra or you're in the heart chakra, you may feel that energy interacting with you in a certain specific kind of way. Other things that contribute are very kind of more tangible, I guess you could call it tangible. Um, geopathic stress lines. I've mm-hmm. talked about those in the past, but geopathic stress lines are basically water courses, underground water courses, drainage pipes, underground tunnels, and simply geological faults that distort the vibration of the earth. The idea is that they distort them in such a way that you can actually see evidence of them on the surface and you can douse for them. So the first experience I ever had with dousing was for dousing for these geopathic stress lines. And it was with this amazing man named Eric, who is Austrian, and he taught water dousing in Vienna as a professor at a technical college because it was considered that serious in Austria. Wow. That 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 was the case. And he had gone to New Zealand. I met him when I lived in New Zealand because he he was teaching the beekeepers how to douse because the idea is that if you recognize where these there's all these different zones of radiation that come off of these water courses. And if you locate the center of them and you place your beehives on the center of them and that bees naturally swarm to the center of these lines as well. Right. Really? Yeah. That when you locate a hive on the, in the middle of these water courses, they produce twice the amount of honey and they're resistant to varroa mite. Right. So that you don't need to actually give them antibiotics and you don't need to do things like that. But what you'll also find is that there was there was a man named Gustav Freher von Pohl, and he has a book, and it's called Earth Currents as Pathogens of Illness and Development of Cancer, because basically he there was this town called Filtsfieberg in Germany, and he doused every single line in this town, right? So he looked for all these geopathic stress lines, and he basically overlaid a map of the town with these geopathic stress lines. This is a story that. Eric told me, and then I found the source for it in Germany. about how I would have been one of the people, 
eating my bratwurst at a cafe being like, who the hell is this guy walking around <laughs> dousing everything? It was amazing. When I went to Vienna, he like took me around the whole town and like showed me all the water courses and like all the signs of him. It was incredible because in older towns, you can see more evidence of it. But this guy basically went around and he doused the entire town. And then he overlaid on top of that all the cases of cancer. And every single person that slept on one of these lines, like every single case of cancer, they slept on one of these lines. Oh, weird. So like, you know, this is, this is, this, I don't know how much this has been redone, like in terms of that, but I can tell you that this particular book, and when I first learned about dowsing, this is what I learned about with it. So sometimes we find that we don't feel comfortable in a place and it could be because it's haunted. It could be because the medicine of place isn't necessarily working toward, or it could be because of one of these geopathic stress lines. So, wow. um, crazy. I love teaching people how to douse geopathic stress lines too, because it's like you you'll see split trees you'll see cracks in the sidewalk and they'll all line up like exactly where the edges of these lines are wow. that are going through your space so it's a it's an interesting thing and so there are a lot of different and so other things that can happen in the environment that may make you feel more comfortable or may make you want to stay in a place are all about like huge bodies of water so i've talked about in the past how bodies of water are amplifiers of energy what we have found is that, or what I have found and what I've found working with my clients is that working and living near large bodies of water has a tendency to amplify their intuitive abilities. Okay. So that's one of those things that, that like, if you decide that you want to suddenly get up and go to the beach or to a place that has a giant river and you want to stay next to it, it could be because you're, you're searching for a message or something that you need and you need a body of water to help that amplify that in you. Right. There are, I mentioned geomancy before, which is a method of divination for basically using the earth to determine things in your own life, which can kind of go into this whole idea of like, I'm really called right now to go to Sedona. And then when I go to Sedona, I'm going to be looking for the signs that I'm looking for right now. Right. Because I can't find them in my space. When I'm in my space, the medicine in that space does not lend to me being very intuitive right now. So I really want to go to a holy space or a sacred space because I have feel like I have a message that I can't, that isn't coming through right now, or I feel lost in my life. That's geomancy? Well, what geomancy you- is the idea of using soil, rocks, sands, and things in your natural environment to be able to help read and divine things in your own life. Oh, right? Okay. Right? It's so like tarot cards or something? It's using the earth as a tarot card deck basically okay. is what it is. That's a really good way of saying it. It was considered, I mean, you know, it's it's definitely considered one of those forbidden arts from the Middle Ages and things along those lines. But the idea being that, like, we, the, the kind of thing that I want to end this episode on is how we work with the medicine of place in our own lives. So I've talked about a lot of different things that can affect how you feel about a place. You know, we've talked in the past about haunting, so I only just touched on that briefly. But, you know, We can have a personal history with something. We could be interacting with the greater history of a place. And there could be earth things that are actually affecting our ability to feel comfortable in a space. Like there could be earth energies that are affecting and and lending to different experiences. But how we work with the medicine of a place in our own life is when, when we feel this great urge to go someplace, when we feel a calling Mm -hmm. to go someplace, It could be because we're looking for that medicine of energy. So for a long time, I really wanted to go to Japan. I learned Japanese. I did everything. I never ended up going to Japan, but I always figured that there must have been some past life that if I had ended up going, I would have been like 
feeling a lot of like connection to. And it wasn't until years later when I was out of high school and I was going to take my trip around the world, like, you know, I decided I got to choose where I wanted to go. And I didn't choose to go to Japan because at that time, the medicine of place of Japan was not resonating with me. Oh, wow. It was for years and years. Yeah, I felt like that about India. Like, I had to go. It pulled me. Exactly. I felt like that about Australia. So I lived in Australia when I was in high school, and I wanted to go no matter what. I was going to go by myself. My family ended up moving. It was like one of those things that, that the world moved hell and high water to make it so that everybody moved. But I was basically... I mean, I was also a little bit traumatized, so I was trying to go to the other side of the world to get away from that. But, like, I felt so called to go to Australia for years and years and years, and I ended up going there, and it was just the most absolutely beneficial thing for me in the world. And obviously, I was privileged enough to be able to do that. But, you know, and then when I went to to travel around the world later, I got to choose all these different places that spoke to me. So Egypt and Turkey and Eastern Europe. So I went all through, all through like Macedonia, which is now called the something else. And to go up through Serbia and, and, and all those different places. If we are in a lifetime in which we feel as if medicine of place is important to us and acts deeply on our soul, we may be called to travel because we may be knocking off a lot of things in our list. We didn't even touch on past lives and obviously I touched on that, but like I think part of the personal history could be personal history within this life. It can also be past life history, right? It could be past life history that you're really called to do something because your soul is like, we need to settle this and I need to go physically to this place in order to settle this and to feel the medicine of this place in order to settle whatever is going on inside of me, right? So using the medicine of place as, an esp- as a way to do shadow work right? To recognize that the place that you're in is going to pull out a certain aspect of your shadow, like that magnet, that's going to just draw it out Mm -hmm. and that you can use it, you know, you can recognize a call when it's coming to you to say, I really feel like going to this place. And if you're able to moving and going to that place, maybe you feel a repulsion to a place. Maybe you've been living in a town and I know I, I could probably say my sister is a great example of this. And I don't think she'd mind me saying this is that she lived in Atlanta for the vast majority of her life. She wasn't born in Atlanta, but she was like, basically lived in Atlanta for the vast majority of her life. And it was, she felt the need to leave, but circumstance and and logistics and all those different things made it so that she couldn't leave for the longest time. It didn't make any sense for her to leave, right? And then finally, whatever led up karmically for her so that she was able to leave and she moved to England and she is such a different person and she is so happy. She's like, it's just so, so different to like be in that different place and being in a different place, not only if, if especially if you're going and you don't know anybody, you can reinvent yourself, but the place helps to reinvent you, right? The help, the place helps you to, 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 to express different aspects of your personality and different aspects of your light in a different way. You know, I always having done the thing where you move around because you, you just want a constant dopamine hit for a new place and like, oh, this is so adventurous and exciting, you know, that can be good for a short time. And obviously, I don't encourage using moving to a different place as an avoidance tactic. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's how you can, you can work on it is recognize when you have a repulsion to a space because you may be done with that medicine and you may be being called to someplace else. And by not moving, you're not able to move on to a different space. Recognize when you're being attracted to it. See if there's a way that you can get to it. And if you can't, if you don't have the means or some ability to go to that place, ask your guides to tell you a place that is similar to the energy that like is more local to you, 
right? So maybe you can't go to Mount Kalish, right? Because you can't get to Mount Kalish in Tibet, but maybe you can etherically go there in your dreams, or maybe you can kind of take a, a, a guided journey to Mount Kalish, or maybe there's an aspect of Mount Kalish that exists within your own town or locale in which you can kind of use the medicine a place to like pull, like, you know, to, to kind of pull things out from you. Um, and you know, that's it. Is there anything you can no, think that? I think yeah. it's all cool. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you everybody. And let us know if you have any questions about any of this. Yeah. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.